Amen. That is what we are called to, to be a house, a people who pray, who pray believing the promises of God, who believe that he has something for us in heaven that's intended to be for us here, and we pray until we see it happen here. Amen? That has been the essence of our series, Pray Bold. We stand in that today. God has uniquely attached all of the blessings of heaven and our life on earth to prayer. So if we want to see life change on earth, then we're going to have to pray to heaven. We're going to have to get a hold of the God who has got a hold of us and believe what he says. And we don't, we don't move until we hear him speak. He doesn't need our permission to have to move. He doesn't need our insight on the situation to have to move. But in extreme grace, he has chosen to involve us in the process. He didn't need us, but he's chosen us. He didn't need us to help him move here on earth, but he's chosen to move here on earth based on our prayer. And so we call out to him with that promise. We believe that. We, we see him move when we pray. Sometimes we get all caught up in, well, I don't understand all of the mechanics of prayer. I don't understand how all this works. I don't understand how his will can be done on earth as it is in heaven when I pray. We get caught up in all of the how-tos and the whys and all of that. But simply, it, it ought to just stun us forever that God would choose to include us in his move on earth by asking us to pray. That ought to so stun us that we cry out to him in prayer and let him take care of all the details of how it all happens. Heaven moves when we pray. But you know, the opposite is true of that as well. God has chosen by his sovereign plan that when we pray, heaven moves. But look here, when we don't pray, heaven is silent. The scripture records story after story, people after people who did not call out to the Lord. And because they did not, they did not see revival, restoration, reconciliation, provision, protection. They did not experience heaven on earth because they did not cry out to the one who's made a way for heaven to come to earth. And it's for that reason that we must pray bold. It's for that reason that we must know the promises of God. So last week I showed you a little book. It was like a $2.99 book you could pick up at Mardell or Amazon about the promises of God. So if you're interested to go a little further on the deal, check this out. This is a big book. So the cool thing about this one is it's very similar to the one I showed you last week. It's Bible promises. It's straight from scripture. But what this one does, it's, it's topical as well, but what this one does differently is that it puts a, a statement of faith after the promise. It kind of gives you this moment of declaration of faith. For, for example, if you're praying uh, about God's will for your life, and you're praying about the direction that he has for your life, you can turn, there's this whole section here on uh, giving you a purpose, understanding God's purpose. So I turn to it, Psalm 33, 11, here's the verse. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Great, powerful verse. But then 
the author includes a declaration and some other verses. Here's the declaration. Here's the statement you can make based on this promise, a prayer you can pray. My father's plans and purposes stand firm. They are settled in heaven for all eternity. I am confident that every one of his promises will be accomplished in my life. Shoot. That helps me take a promise, put it into a prayer and a purpose I can state and I can walk in. So, Amazon, christianbook.com. I'll tell you up front, they're a little hard to find. There's not a lot of them out there. It was printed some time back. Uh, the author is James Riddle. But a great resource if you're looking to get a better grasp on the promises of God because that is what gives us power in heaven. That is what gives us confidence on earth is when we know his promises and we grab a hold of those and we stay fixed on them. Um, there are some prayers sometime that don't get an answer immediately. I'm sure you've recognized that. Because sometimes you pray and there's an answer that just seems to just come immediately. But there's sometimes you pray and it doesn't happen that day, that week, that month, that year, that three-year period, and you just keep praying. And in that moment, you need something to hold on to. You need a promise from heaven. You need something that you can grab a hold of and say, God, I'm not letting go of this because you said it. This is not just me talking, God. This is you who've spoken, and I'm holding on to what you say. Because when you pray that way, you have to pray with persistence, with faithfulness. Just keep asking. Just keep pounding the door of heaven. God, you've promised. God, you said. God, I'm believing. You just keep driving because you keep believing that promise. Based on that, our message today is called Pray Bold with Persistence. Because there are times that you have to keep praying and keep praying and keep praying when the answer doesn't immediately come. Now we know from scripture that there are some things that only come in time with persistence, with faithfulness. For example, Galatians tells us, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. It's just a principle of life. It's a principle of agriculture. It's a principle of the spiritual culture. If you want to see God bring forth fruit, then you have to believe a promise and pray and obey. Believe a promise, pray and obey. Believe a promise and pray and obey. And you just keep after it. It doesn't matter if it's a week, a month, a year, a decade. You just stay after because God promises you will reap in due time, in his time. In the time of that seed, whatever it is that you've planted, in the time that it has been designed to come forth, it will come forth if you do not lose heart. There are some blessings, there are some answers to prayer that require our absolute persistence to stay in it. I'm afraid often we get caught up in the, well, I didn't see it happen. Well, it hadn't happened yet. Well, I don't know if it's going to. And boy, when you get into that moment, the enemy just starts whispering. Do you believe God really said can you really trust him? Do you really think he will? 
And the enemy loves those moments when the time has passed and the seed has been putting down the roots before it's put up any fruits and you're getting nervous and you're getting anxious and you're getting dismayed. The enemy loves that moment. So today we're going to look at what scripture says about how to pray bold with persistence. Luke 18 is where we are today. Turn your Bible to Luke 18. Jesus is teaching. Jesus is talking about the kingdom. The the disciples have heard Jesus do the thing that we're talking about. They've heard him pray. And they've recognized that when Jesus prays, it's different than what they've been hearing prayer sound like. The disciples were used to the religious leaders and the Pharisees and how they prayed. And boy, they prayed different than Jesus. The Pharisees loved to pray out where everybody could see them. They wanted everybody to see how spiritual they were. They wanted to show off what they sounded like. And they would pray and they would pray and they would pray long and they would recite their prayers and it would just drone on and on and on. And there was this emptiness to it all. And the disciples had heard all of that. The disciples had heard that kind of praying. But when they heard Jesus pray, it was different. Jesus was talking to his father in heaven. Jesus had a sincerity about him. Jesus had a passion about him. Jesus had a confidence about him. And the disciples got caught up in that and said, Lord, you're going to need to teach us how to pray like that because that's different than we've ever seen. Help us know how to pray. So in Luke 18, Jesus is going to talk about prayer and specifically about what we're talking about today, the need to pray bold with persistence. So Luke 18 is where we are. It says this in Luke, then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So Luke is writing. Luke is telling us what Jesus told this story for. He tells us the reason behind it. He says, Jesus was telling this story so that we would all know the importance of praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And praying and not lose heart, to not give up, to not falter, to not let doubt creep in, to not let temptation distract you, but to pray always and not lose heart. Jesus went on and it says here that Jesus was telling a parable, a story. This is not something that was true in the sense of that it hadn't happened, but it's true in the sense of the truth that Jesus is communicating. It's a truth that he is about to spell out. It says in verse two that he was saying, there was in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. So Jesus is telling a story. It's story time with the disciples and others who are listening. And Jesus says, there was a city, there was a judge And in this city, the judge was a man who did not fear God and he had no regard for man. Now you've got to wonder how in the world this guy got to be a judge because judges are all about what is right and what is wrong. Judges are all about what truth is and judges should have a compassion for people. Hello, this is all what a judge should be. When you're electing judges and you're voting for judges, you should look for those who fear God and regard man. Hello? 
when that is happening in a land, then God can protect the people and his, he can further his ways. But when a land is filled with judges that are more insistent on their own ways and no regard for man, then the land becomes perverted and the justice becomes perverted. Jesus says, there was in this city a judge, a man responsible for right and wrong and the compassion on people who were hurting. But this man had neither of those things. Verse three, uh, now there was a widow in that city and she came to him. So now we have a second character in the story. Here's a woman whose husband has died. This puts her alone in caring for herself. This puts her in a vulnerable spot. This puts her in a situation where she needs someone to be the protector and provider for her. We don't know about uh, how much money she has or doesn't have. We don't know about how many children she has or doesn't have, but she is alone. She doesn't have anyone else with her in the fight. And so she came, she came to this judge and she said, get justice for me from my adversary. So now we have a third character in the story here. There's an adversary. We're not going to learn anything else really about whoever this person is, but someone we don't know if it's, an, if it's a man, it's a woman. We don't know what the age, we don't know anything about the situation, but there's an adversary. She's got someone that is hounding her. She's got someone that's pestering her. She's got someone trying to take advantage of her. She's got someone that's doing something illegal. She's got someone who is really making her life miserable and she needs the help of a judge. She needs the judge to do the right thing. She needs the judge to enforce the law. She needs the judge to protect her rights as a citizen. She needs him to speak and protect her from her her adversary, verse four says, and he would not for a while. He would not. He wouldn't listen to this woman. She had her complaint. She had a just cause. She had a reason. And he had a responsibility. But he, even though it was his responsibility, even though it was within his power, even though there was no one else to go to, he would not hear her. He would not listen to her. He would not accept the case. He would not deal with it. And this lasted for a while. We don't know how long, but it lasted. It stayed as a problem for her. She needed someone to help her. Rest of verse four says this, but afterward he said within himself. In other words, he came to a place where he recognized, I probably should do something here. He began to speak within his own self and he said, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. This judge who had no care for what is true and just, this man who had no care for people and what they were experiencing, finally decided to avenge her. And the way he words it and the conclusion he comes to is, because she troubles me, because this is beginning to be a bother, because this could begin to affect public opinion, because this could begin to get troublesome for me, he chooses to finally avenge her, take up her case, deal with her situation, do what's right. And he goes on, he says this in verse five, the second part of it, lest by her continual coming, she weary me. I better do something because I'm tired of her bothering me. I better do something because this is wearing me out. I better do something because she's taking up my time. And this judge finally says, all right, all right, this is beginning to just weary me. And you're probably thinking, Jesus, where in the world are you heading with this story? This is crazy. But this woman, she knew she had a legal right 
This woman, she knew she was a citizen of the city. This woman knew she had the law on her side. This woman knew she could ask boldly. This woman knew she could expect an answer. This woman knew she could expect something to be done. This woman knew the judge needed to ask, but she knew to do that, she would have to ask. You and I have rights because of who we are as citizens of heaven. You and I have a judge who is in heaven. You and I have a father in heaven who hears us. You and I have been given exceedingly great and precious promises. You and I have the right to ask, but you're not going to see answers come from heaven until you're willing to pray bold and pray persistently to keep Asking Now, Jesus is about to set the story straight here. Don't get worried that Jesus is about to compare God to this judge because this is not our God in heaven. Hello? Our God does not say, oh, man, you are wearing me out with all that asking. Okay, okay. Sadly, that's how a lot of people interpret God. But let me assure you from what Jesus is about to say, that is not the heart of our God in heaven. Jesus said then in verse six, then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Listen carefully to what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out to him day and night? He says, hear what this unjust judge did. He finally chose to listen to this woman because she kept asking but do not assume that that is what our God in heaven is like because our God is the one who chooses us. Our God is the one who is gracious to us. Our God is the one who's made promises to us. And when you cry out to him, he will answer your prayer. It's the promise he's made to, to us. But Jesus is very clear. Sometimes it comes when you have been faithful and persistent to cry out to him day and night, and day, and night, and day, and night, and day, and night, because there are some promises, there are some blessings, there are some answers, there are some doors to be opened, there are some things that do not come until we are willing to be persistent in our praying. Amen? They take time. They take patience on our part. And all during that time, that time between when you've planted the seed and nothing is coming up, that time that the seed is, is doing its work in the soil, that time when the seed is putting down roots, that time when the rain is coming down and the sun is shining, the time when all of the work is happening but you can't see it, that is the time that the farmer must be patient because the seed is growing, but it's time for the root. It's not time for the fruit. And it takes patience to get from root time to fruit time. It takes persistence of staying at it, of praying for your children, of praying for your parents, of praying for that loved one, of praying for provision, of trusting God in the matter, of believing God's promises are true, and just staying at it day in, day out, day and night, day and night, day and night. That's when promises come. But that's where it's hard for you and I in this, I gotta get it now day. 
I get it. I'm the guy who doesn't like to sit too long in traffic somewhere. I'm the guy that if there's three cars in the drive-thru at Raising Cane's, I'm like, oh, babe, do you want to go inside and get it? You know, just, and she's always gracious to say, yes. I'm the guy that doesn't like to wait. I get it. I'm the guy that can struggle with some impatience. So I get it when Jesus says, there are some answers that are not going to come until we have prayed and prayed and been persistent and believed and trust God. Because in those moments, what's happening is I'm tightening my grip on the promises of God. What's happening is in that moment, I'm surrendering my will to God's will. What's happening in that moment is I'm crying out to God more passionately. What's happening in that moment is I'm starting to call out to others to help me in prayer. What's happening in that moment is I'm starting to change. I'm starting to be conformed to the image of Jesus. What's happening in that moment is I'm being trained. I'm being shaped. I'm being conformed. I'm having my strength renewed. I'm going to start being able to walk and not be weary, to run and not faint. I'm going to eventually be able to put out some wings and fly like eagles with my faith because I'm trusting what God says, not what I see. But this, this is a discipline for God's people. This is a, something we have to develop in time. This is something we have to bear with one another. This is something we have to just keep clinging to in God's time and God's purposes. He will answer. Because every promise the Bible says in him, every word that he has spoken to us, every blessing that he's promised to us is in Jesus Yes and amen. I can hold to that. I can be faithful in that. And Jesus goes on in the story and he says, this man is not like our God. Our God will avenge his own. He goes on in verse seven, second part of it says, though he bears long with them, he says, I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. He will go to work for you. You might not see it. You might not know it. But I don't have to see it as long as I can hold to the promise. As we've seen in this series, Daniel prayed and 21 days, nothing happens. And then an angel shows up and says, hey, it's been 21 days. It's been a while, but there has been warfare in the heavenlies. I'm here now because the war has been done. Sometimes there's things happening behind the scenes that you don't see. You and I are incomplete in our awareness. You and I don't know all the circumstances. You don't know the perfect plans of God in every person's life. You don't know what's been happening for the generation in the past and the generation to come. You don't know all the whole story. You don't even know the other person's story that you're involved with in the situation. You don't know all the factors. I don't know all the factors. But what I know in those moments is I can trust God's promises. Amen? And that's what I do. I hold to what he says when I can't figure out what I see. I trust in exactly what he says. And I pray and I hold to the promises. And that helps me pray with persistence. That helps me pray and keep believing even when it's difficult. Now, again, the scripture is filled with many, many stories that helps us see these truths. It helps us understand that we're not the only one who's gone through or is going through some 
some problem right now, some difficulty, some issue that we just can't find the answer for right now. You're not the only one. You're not the only one who's experiencing what you've experienced. There are others, great men and women of faith in scripture who have been through what you're going through. You're not the only one. And scripture tells us in the Old Testament that this was really the situation with the children of Israel, the people of God in their day. They had found themselves slaves in Egypt and they cried out to the Lord and said, God, deliver us. And God heard their prayers and he delivered them. And in that deliverance, he gave them a promise. He said, now I'm going to deliver you, but I'm gonna deliver you to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. It's a land of promise. It's a land of great joy. It's a land of amazing things that you can't even begin to imagine. But the deal is, I'm gonna be the one to lead you there. I will be the one to protect you, to watch over you, and it will require your absolute faith in the process. It will require everything within you to believe me, to trust me as we go through this process, as I lead you into the land that is flowing, flowing with milk and honey. Because God would say to them, this land is yours. But this land, at the time that he gave it to them, God said, this land is filled with giants. It's filled with the enemy. It's filled with people who are possessing what ought to be yours. And I know you might think, how in the world can I go into what is mine when other people have it right now? And God said to them, look, I will be your God. I will be the one who will provide for you. I will be the one who gives you what you need. I will be your protector. I will be your sustainer. I will be the one who provides for you. It will not be up to you. Exodus 3:17, he says, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. And God said, I will be the one who does this. But look, you're going to have to trust me. You're gonna to have to just walk patiently, persistently, believing me, praying, obeying, praying, obeying, and praying and obeying. Because the time is coming you will enter into this land, but it will require every bit of your faith to believe me because it is a land full of blessing. It is a land that I promise to you. And what God promises, he provides. And God was giving them exceedingly great and precious promises. Deuteronomy 28 tells us these promises would include setting them high above the other nations, making them a nation above all nations, not because of anything within themselves, but God was saying to all the people of earth, I want to show the people of earth what it looks like when a people follow me and trust me 
That's why he gave them a unique way to live. That's why he gave them laws to live in so that they might be a people that were holy and set apart. We as the church are that people in our day, by the way, amen? We have been given the promises and we are called to live with the kingdom reality here now amongst us. He said, I'm gonna set you high above the other nation. You're gonna have blessings that will come chasing after you if you'll obey me. I will defeat your enemies. They'll come at you one way. They'll flee before you seven ways. I will protect you. I will open heaven and bless you. I'll make you the head and not the tail. And he described all of these promises in Deuteronomy 28 and said, this is what I'm gonna do for you. I will be this for you, but you're going to have to faithfully walk. The crazy thing is that in spite of these promises, in spite of their seeing God do something incredible in delivering them from Egypt, in spite of the fact that they saw the Red Sea part, in spite of the fact that they saw all of the miracles that God did in Egypt, in spite of all of that, they along the way stopped believing the promises. They didn't stop believing in God. They still believed he was there. They didn't stop believing he could do something miraculous, but they stopped believing that he would do something miraculous for them. And this is what so often trips us up. We get to the place where we think, I mean, I believe God could do something amazing. Well, I believe God could do something powerful, but I'm not sure he's going to for me. This is our lack of knowing the promises. This is our lack of having faith. Now, the Bible tells us that this land was a land flowing with milk and honey. The Bible tells us that they got to this place where they believed that even though it was there, even though they had sent a few of their own in to see it, even though there were those who had gone in and had said, it really is a land flowing with milk and honey. There is fruit there so massive in size that men are carrying stalks of grapes on their shoulders. It is, it is massive in scale. It's beautiful. It's everything we could ever want. It's a place where we can raise our families. It's a place where God will protect us. It's a place where we can raise up the next generations to trust in God. And even though they knew all of that, they got afraid of what was in there. They got afraid of the giants. They got afraid of all the zites that were in the land. They got afraid of what looked like obstacles. And they started fearing what was there instead of fearing the one who was there. They stopped believing the one who said, I will do this for you. And they started thinking, I can't do this for me. They stopped believing that he made a promise to them. And they started worrying about the promises they'd made to him. When you get that backwards, you'll get it all out of alignment. God says, trust in me, not in yourselves. Believe what I say, not in what you say. Don't look at the obstacle in front of you. Look at my promises above you. I will keep my promises. This is where they are. Get to this place, although there was plenty here for them, although it was all theirs, 
although all they had to do was trust, all they had to do was believe the God who had given them this land. Instead, they got overwhelmed. Instead, they gave up. Instead, they prayed once and said, eh, I didn't really see any answers. I'm out on this deal. Instead of being persistent, instead of being faithful, instead of being vocal, instead of being perpetual in their prayers, they checked out on the deal. Well, they didn't stop believing God. They just stopped believing that he would truly be God to them. Now, the New Testament writes its own commentary back on this day. And in Hebrews 3.19, it says that these, this nation in that day and in that time, they did not enter the land. And the verse in Hebrews says this, it was because of their unbelief. Not that they said, oh, we don't believe in God anymore. We're all atheists. It's not that they just, you know, folded up their, the law and burned it. It's not that none of that happened. Oh, they kept believing there was a God. They kept believing his law was true. They kept believing he had done miracles. They kept believing that he could do some more miracles. But they stopped believing it was for them. They stopped walking in the truth day in and day out that proves that they believe it was for them. In fact, did you know that that's the greatest proof that you're still believing today? You're still walking in obedience today. If along the way you said, I believe, I believe. You know what that proves? You didn't really believe. The one who believes and holds to God's promises, they just keep on walking. I hadn't seen it yet. I don't care. No one's going to believe you. I don't care. That's not going to come true. I don't care. I'm believing a promise from God and I will kill. I will still keep walking forward. I'll still keep believing the promise. I'll still do what he said in spite of the circumstances. Amen. Because they had fruit promised to them. They had a land of joy. There was a land of peace that was theirs. There was a land of great hope that was all theirs. There was a land where they could know the love of God. There was a land where they could know his faithfulness. It was a land where they could even grow in their own faith, where they could pass on into generations what God had given them. All they had to do was just keep walking and keep believing. But instead of walking into the land, they dismissed it. They chose their own priorities. They walked their own way and did not believe that God would. In other words, they left promises and blessings on the shelf. God had given them. God had poured them out. God had said, they're yours. All you have to do is walk into the land. All you have to do is believe me. All you have to do is just keep 
trusting, keep walking, keep praying, and they will be yours. But they checked out along the way and said, I think I'm just going to keep going through the motions, but I'm not going to really act on the belief. And they left blessings on the shelf. They died, in fact, not experiencing the blessings that God had for them. They had heard it could be, but they didn't believe it would be. And so for them, it never would be. And it's just filled my mind with all kind of questions this week for me and for us in our day. I don't want to live this life and leave blessings on the shelf. I don't want to not have here on earth what God intended us to have from heaven. I don't want to leave them there when they were meant for here. I don't want to dismiss them. I don't want to leave them out. I don't want to not pray. I don't want to not believe that they're mine. I don't want to leave them on the shelf. I want to see them happen. But I just have to wonder how many times is is restoration in a relationship left on the shelf because we wouldn't pray? How many times is reconciliation left on the shelf because we didn't pray? How many times was provision left on the shelf because we didn't pray? How many times is revival left on the shelf because we didn't pray? How many times are answers left on the shelf because we didn't keep praying and keep asking? How many times are doors remain closed because we didn't ask, we didn't believe, we weren't persistent in the process? How many times is healing even left on the shelf because we refuse to believe it possible. We refuse to keep asking. We refuse to keep hounding heaven. We, we refuse to keep believing a promise because we got our eyes set on the circumstances. It's challenged us in our family. It's challenged us into some prayer at a different level. It's challenged us to believe some things that have been different than what I have believed. But I refuse to let doubt the enemy or any voice tell me that God's promises are not true. I refuse to believe that if Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, it will be done for you. I refuse to believe that that's not true. You can tell me 12 examples you've got of where that didn't happen, and I'll tell you 12 reasons back of maybe that person wasn't believing a promise. I don't know. But I'll tell you this. I'm going to believe Jesus' words over anybody else's words at any point. Amen? And I believe there are promises waiting on a shelf for us because Jesus has promised. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. Ephesians says, I have given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. They're yours. They have been provided for us by his own death and resurrection. They are ours and waiting for us. And so if they're not ours today, then I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray until they do come. I'm going to wait until they do come. 
And it might take a week, a month, a year, a decade, but I will keep praying until they happen, believing that they will happen because Jesus said they will happen. Amen? There is a land that is meant for us in Jesus Christ. There is a land that is meant to fill us with purpose and power and joy and delight and understanding his purpose and his presence in our life. There is a land that is meant for us and I refuse to not believe it is meant for us in our day. I don't wanna just believe God can, I wanna believe that he will, amen? Now, when Jesus gets to the end of the story, he asks a question. It's a very penetrating question because he says this. After he talked about this wicked judge and this desperate woman, he says, nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? I just kind of send a shiver up and down your spine. If you're there sitting with Jesus and he's told this story, he's talking about our father in heaven, he's made these promises and then knowing these stories here. And all of a sudden Jesus says, when I return, am I gonna find that kind of faith? The faith that says, I'm going into the promised land. I'm going into what you have for me, Jesus. I don't wanna be like those who did not. I don't wanna be those who left blessings on the shelf because I refuse to be persistent and faithful and determined in prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? I know today, everybody in this room has something you have prayed for that you have yet to see the answer for. Do not let the circumstances dictate your doctrine. Don't let the enemy fill your head and your heart with lies. This is your moment to get back into the fray. This is your moment to grab hold of the promise. This is your moment to pull heaven down to earth as we were told to and believe that whatever we ask in Jesus' name will be done for us. Father, this morning, I first of all ask forgiveness for my low faith and my giving in to the circumstances instead of the truth. And as a church, we repent of that today. We turn away from that and we say no more. We say, God, from now on, we will believe your promises over the circumstances. We will not let doubt determine our doctrine. We will not let the whispering lies of the enemy determine what we believe, but we will hold to the promise even when we don't see it happen in our day and our time, we will still hold to the promise that you will forever be true. We will hold to those promises and we ask you for them. Father, where there are those who have loved ones that they are praying for, we get back into the fight today to pull down strongholds. We get back into the fight today to call down blessings from heaven. 
We get back in the fight today for asking for a change in our land today, Father, that would cause the enemy to lose his stronghold, to lose his power, to see a spirit of righteousness return to our land, to see a spirit of holiness once again fall upon our streets, to see a desire to change and repent, take over our land, and for the church to rise up in great faith, speak the truth, and believe that you will do what we ask in your name. And it is in your name to ask for righteousness. It is in your name to ask for repentance. It is in your name to ask for a return of the people's hearts to you. So we ask for that and we believe it and we hold to it and we proclaim it and we'll keep asking for it day and night and day and night until we see heaven move. I thank you for faith. I thank you for hope. I thank you for a land in you, Jesus filled with promises, exceedingly great and precious promises. We'll stand in them now. We'll believe them. In Jesus' name, amen.